guys, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Cinema Slayers Podcast. We got a really fun episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking about the movie Glass. We got the full crew here, Justin, Devin Sterling, and Heather, but this will be a little different. You are going to be hearing less of me throughout this because I did not watch this movie. You'll find out why during the episode, but we're going to be doing this like always, or likes or dislikes, everything in between, and then we'll give you our ratings and our recommendations at the end. So sit back and listen, and we're starting with Devin. What did you like about this movie? All right, Devin here, and I got to talk a little bit about my likes with Glass. So um, the first thing I, w- I liked about Glass was the performances. Sam Jackson was great. They did not waste a Sarah Paulson, and I, I do give... <laughs> them points for that because when you waste Sarah Paulson's I do not accept that I rebuke the wasting of a Sarah Paulson <laughs> you know what I mean that's and, fair um, I really enjoyed that I think the performances were strong and uh, James McAvoy of course acted his ass off now some people say he had the meteor role because you know he has so many personalities that he has to portray but he also has to do those in convincing fashion and whenever those personalities change he has to do on cue when you need to be able to see that, hey, this is another person inhabiting this body. And he does that amazing. There are some parts in this film where he has to be three or four people um, in the span of about 10 seconds. So it's just really amazing to see him act and, and do what he needs to do. And I, and I liked a lot of the dynamics between Bruce Willis uh, and his son. Or David and his son. I thought it was great. I actually, I love the fact that they brought so many of the original cast members from Old Unbreakable back into the fold. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really, really cool to have those same actors and those familiar faces. And that really added a lot of gravitas to the movie uh, to see people come back and, and put their their stakes in this and kind of reignite that passion for this franchise. So those are a few things that I really did enjoy about Glass. Uh, And I thought the premise was interesting and I thought the characters were very, very interesting. And um, I thought it was uh, a when you think about those aspects of the film, I thought it was a really good effort on all those accounts. Uh, however, I want to let you know that my dislike section is going to be uh, a little bit longer. Very succinct like section. <laughs> I mainly I mainly wanted to say that just so I could say the word succinct. I just don't feel like <laughs> I get to use that enough. But Jasmine, what did you like about Glass? Okay. So, so going into Glass, I must admit that I didn't really have... I would say high expectations for this. This was just kind of one of those completionist missions for me. I had seen Unbreakable and I hadn't seen Split, but I had heard so many good things about it. So I kind of put it on my list of things I wanted to see. And then whenever uh, this I knew that this was coming out and they were going to release it in January, I finally went on ahead and watched Split, really liked it. and. So subsequently, I was in the theater this past weekend for Glass. And one of the things that I can definitely say about Glass is um, is James McAvoy. It just continues to be awesome with this character, Kevin, and doing all of the different personalities. And in this movie, I believe we saw a few different ones that we didn't get to see in the split movie. But 
he was wonderful. Like every time he's on screen, I thought that things got a little more interesting. Every time the script called for him to be intense, he definitely met that and was that. And even if I didn't like all the situations surrounding what was happening, he always had a way of acting to make you pay more attention to him than what was going on around him. So I just appreciated James McAvoy so much. He definitely was the standout actor in this film. And I also really thought that Samuel L. Jackson brought it as well. I thought that he was good here, very good here, especially considering that most of the movie, he's not saying anything at all. And then really, more or less, the end towards the end of the second act and then all the way through the third act is where you really get um, a dose of the Glass character with Samuel L. Jackson. So I thought that for the seemingly smaller role he had, he really did well once it was time to talk and once it was time for Glass to get his plan underway. Uh, and, and like everybody said, Sarah Paulson was also a standout actor in this, especially because the vast majority of the middle of the film really rides on her psychiatric sessions with um, with Samuel L. Jackson, James McAvoy, and Bruce Willis. And she really carried that. She was great with them. There were no chemistry issues. There were no issues with her dialogue with them. I thought that she performed exceedingly well. So definitely, like everybody has already said, the performances were great in that this movie. <clears throat> Another thing that I liked were just the fact that I thought that this movie definitely had some neat concepts. Um, M. Night Shyamalan, like him or hate him, and that, you know, depending on who you ask, it can go, it seems like there's no in-between with him. You either love his movies or hate him, uh, seems like recently with some of his films. But one thing I can say about M. Night Shyamalan is that it always does seem like he's trying to be as ambitious as possible. It always seems like he's always reaching for a new concept or trying to come up with a new way to tell a story or trying to surprise you in some sort of way. And that is one thing that I can appreciate from him as a moviegoer. And this does also exhibit some ideas like that. The idea of whether or not these people are superpowered or not, or is this all in their heads? He plays with that idea, and he, and he plays with it very well up until we get to the final act and the resolution, but I like that idea. He set that precedent in the other movies, and I do believe that it's prevalent in this movie. So, there are a lot of things you can do with that idea. And there were scenes where Sarah Paulson's character almost convinced me that maybe the, the, these uh, these superpower beings, maybe they weren't exactly what we thought they were. So I do appreciate that the, the ideas like that, that M. Night Shyamalan brings towards the movie. And I did appreciate that idea as it was displayed here. And that's probably a wrap up of the likes that I have for the film. Heather. What did you like about Glass? Okay, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I'm probably in the minority of people who liked the movie. <laughs> um, I I know I'll probably get some grief for it from some people, but I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed it. Um, 
I'm not saying that it's the best thing I've ever seen or that it's even the best M. Night Shyamalan film, but for what it was and what they had to work with plot wise, I personally found it pretty entertaining. Um, of course, you know, there's some things I didn't like as well, which we'll get into later. But um, the thing I would say I like most about the film is the psychological aspect and subject matter in the film. Um, it's the same reason I also like Split so much, too. Uh, the way that they discuss certain mental disorders and the story they build around it is really interesting to me. Um and in Glass, the whole concept, you know, that there is a dedicated field of study on people who believe they are superheroes, learning the behaviors and triggers and uh, that make them, uh, you know, that kind of just make people in this universe act and be the way that they are. It's it's pretty fascinating. And um, like the idea that your mind protects itself and manifests in needing to feel superhuman and invincible in some way. That's a real thing. And they address it without making these people out to be crazies looking at you, Bird Box, on that one. Um, <laughs> and the way that Sarah Paulson's character, who is the psychiatrist, um, Dr. Ellie, the way that she communicates with each of the subjects um, in that she's studying, I think it's well done. You know, um, it's actually something that split like i said it also does it really well like the psychiatrist that james mcavoy's character is working with in that film too is honestly in my opinion one of the best portrayals of a psychiatrist that i've seen in the film you know she was genuine spoke to him like he was a person um was very good at understanding him and i wouldn't say that sarah paulson's character is quite the same on that level but there are reasons for that based on the story sort of within the story that you find out later as to why she's not completely like that. Um, I also think that keeping the original characters, like you guys were saying from the first two movies um, from Unbreakable and Split was smart because it made me feel a little more invested in the film. Um, I like that each of the lead characters had their, I guess what you would call their most important person by their side. You know, Mr. Glass had his mom, the overseer had his son, the beast has Casey who is, um, you know, of course, the girl that he abducted that he actually let go and didn't kill. Um, as a side note to that, I do kind of have conflicting feelings on their particular relationship. But I also think that it was unique and somewhat important to have her as his person of importance because, you know, he didn't really have anyone else. And there was clearly some kind of connection he felt with her due to her perceived brokenness that he that, you know, that he says makes her pure. Um so it makes sense, but also it's a very strange relationship, which I will also get into later on. Um, I like the tone of the film. It was in keeping with Unbreakable, the eerie, suspenseful feel to it. Uh, Split does also have that, but it was still a very different tone than these other two films. Um, but I do, I do kind of wish that all three of them had the same overall tone, but it's not really a deal breaker for me just because Split is a fantastic movie regardless. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll also get into this more later, but for me, Split is hands down the best of this trilogy. So, um, but anyways, yeah, most of what James McAvoy did with the different personalities is extremely well done. Just the way that he, like you were saying, he can switch to completely different characters so quickly and totally just become those different characters and expression and personality demeanor it's honestly just brilliant how he does it. 
Like it's amazing seeing their faces transform and just his body language transform with each character that he does is phenomenal to see. Um, so he, he also just in general, I think has a more interesting storyline. So I think that's why I enjoyed his character so much in this. Um, I also like that they made the supporting characters very important to the story. It wasn't just about the three guys that were the subjects. Um, it was about the people in their lives and how they're also affected by their superhero com- complexes or diseases or whatever it is that they're viewing it as individually. I think it added an important element, especially towards the end. And um, something else I liked is that um, I liked that the choices in how certain scenes were shot, like, for example, the scene with all of them in the one room talking to Dr. Ellie, you know, it was just a really it was, was shot really well. Um, and then at the climax of the story, when all three are out of the institution and facing off against each other, it was just really cool. Um, and sort of a, it built a lot of the tension and suspense of the moment well, I think. Um, and let's see. I think I, I do like um, how complex Mr. Glass was, um, you know, because like to the Beast and the Horde, you know, he was like the best person ever because, you know, he talked to them and he treated them well and everything and made them feel comfortable and understood but to the overseer he's just a completely evil person so it added a little bit of the idea that he can completely not be evil (laughs) but um you know but he always has something up his sleeve so it was just kind of it built a little bit more of his character and complexity for me which i appreciated and um i do also one last thing i'll say is that i liked the psych out at the end of it where um during the final showdown um, they make you think it's going to take place somewhere else that um, it's, you know, it's set up to be like this huge big thing on top of a new building. And so the whole world is going to be able to see their powers, but it ends up all going down unexpectedly outside of the institution before they even get there. And I kind of liked that misdirect because they avoided a typical, the whole world must see our battle thing, you know, so it felt more personal to the characters the way they did it. So, yeah, I think overall it worked well enough for me that I wouldn't call it a bomb of a movie. <laughs> but um, I, it could also just be the anticipation of I was really looking forward to this movie since I found out they were doing it. So, um, but yeah, but either way, I was not completely let down at all. And I actually liked it way more than I didn't like it. So on a very interesting side note, since James McAvoy has uh, been name dropped a, a few times already. Uh, I do just want to mention something that directly relates to him that I read this week. Uh, he is filming uh, it chapter two and mm-hmm. apparently uh, young little scars guard, uh, the person that plays Pennywise apparently is so good that it scared the joy of acting from James McAvoy. Wow. That's hardcore. So <laughs> whoa! to just directly, you know, since his performance has been brought up, you know, by uh, a few of you guys already, I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd drop that in. Uh, at a very opportune time. Um, I can't wait to see him in it. I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I just, I, I do think it's funny that, you know, he's, you know, you would think that this would be a, like a psychologically challenging role for him. Uh, but no, it turns out just playing a uh, grown up loser from uh, Derry, Maine that gets scared by, a, you know, a supernatural clown. That's what will really fuck you up mentally, apparently. Um, <laughs> and just uh, so everybody knows, there won't be a like section for me for this movie. Not for the typical reasons of not having anything to like. I just slightly refuse to see this movie in a boycotting fashion. 
So I don't have anything to say. So we are going to go ahead and jump right into the dislikes now. Uh, we're going to go in reverse order like we typically do. We'll start this off. Heather, what did you not like? Okay. Yes. So I do realize I had a lot of likes about it, but like I said, I um, enjoyed the movie. <laughs> um, so the things that I didn't like, as I mentioned before, um, I do wish that the tone of all three movies had been more consistent. Um, I don't, I don't know if that was more on purpose to make the surprise sequel, you know, the secret sequel thing pay off more, but it just would have felt a little bit more in the same world if they had all been the same tone. Uh, but at the same time, um, and I, I think I had talked about this with some people before, Split kind of works um, well just as a standalone movie. It could have been completely unrelated to the rest of them and it would have been just fine. It would have been really good still. So um, that's why the tone of that one is fine otherwise. But just because it is a trilogy of movies, I just kind of wish that they all would have had that unbreakable tone feel, if you will. Another thing I briefly touched on in my likes was Casey, um, the girl who the Beast lets live in, in Split, um, was his important person by his side when everything went down. Uh, while I do... Um, I understand why it had to be that way. I also think that it's bound to cause way more psychological issues down the line for Casey that she has, she still has this contact with him to the degree that she was having it. Um, I mean, obviously for the sake of this story, that's not important, but I just think back on it and I'm just like, well, that's not really the, the greatest, you know, relationship to not cut ties with. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, she is supposed to be that one person that the beast was vulnerable to. Because she imparted on him like true and genuine care and love towards him. And, um, you know, that being said, they, they also really kind of teetered back and forth a little bit too much for me on what type of relationship they were supposed to have. Like whether she was just a friend or, you know, like she felt sorry for him or if she had feelings for the real Kevin. So that part was a little weird for me. Um, I do not like that Bruce Willis's character. Well, yeah, I, I don't like that Bruce Willis's character died or the way that he died. <laughs> um, he was fighting like in this huge tank of water with the beast and then ended up getting out of that. And then he ends up being drowned in a small puddle of water. And I'm like, okay, um, I feel like it was kind of dumb and not the way that I would have killed him off. I also think of all of the three of the characters that his character is the one that should not have died and that it wasn't really as necessary for him to die as it was for Mr. Glass or the beast. So, um, and obviously, you know, at the end we, we found out, you know, that Dr. Ellie's part of like this group of people who are trying to exterminate all those who feel that, that they feel like pose a threat to humans, but it could have been, I mean, I feel like it even could have worked where maybe Dr. Ellie became the new Mr. Glass and, the overseer or Bruce Willis, you know, had to track, had to track her down and that she was like the new villain to go after. I personally think that that would have been a better ending. Um, I also think that Bruce Willis's part was fairly small considering um, it just seemed like, honestly, like sometimes his son was more dominant in the story at times. So I would have liked a little more of, of Bruce Willis in the film, I think. Um, I also think that if they were going to do the whole, you know, evil super group or whatever thing that Sarah Paulson's character was part of. They should have either set it up or explained it a little better. Um, even the vision that like Bruce Willis saw of her was super vague and I didn't really quite get it at first. 
the reveal seemed a little rushed compared to like everything else. And there wasn't that, oh, wow, moment really with this twist like there was with Unbreakable or even Split. Um, so for that, it was just, it was more of a like letdown in a sense of that reveal, I suppose. And also the fact that um, <laughs> apparently Mr. Glass kind of like knew about the whole thing and set this showdown up as a suicide mission doesn't make too much sense to me. Um, I think that they they wanted to add another twist, you know, but I just feel like if you're if you're considered the mastermind villain character, which is what Mr. Glass was supposed to be, I would think you would want to see all of the chaos and everything um, of what you've created. You know, so maybe for me, I just also would have wanted that set up a little bit better or played out a little bit differently. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's probably my main dislikes about the movie. Justin, what did you not like about Glass? <clears throat> OK, great. So Heather did definitely touch on some of the dislikes, but just to kind of sum it all up, I, I guess I'll just start with um with something that she alluded to. And yes, I thought that in this movie, uh, Bruce Willis's David Dunn character and Samuel L. Jackson's Glass character, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier with Glass, but I, I just don't think there was enough of them in this movie. Like, Unbreakable, I really enjoyed that character. I really enjoyed Bruce Willis's character. And I don't know, I just don't feel like this script gave him much to do here. I, I really enjoyed the beginning of this film. I loved the chase where him and his son were basically chasing and looking for um, James McAvoy's character, the, the Horde. I really loved the beginning of this film, and I almost just kind of wish that was the film, just about Bruce Willis going up against James McAvoy and them going against each other and him trying to find him and McAvoy's personalities eluding him. And finally, maybe we get to this collision course and finally he gets McAvoy or maybe at the end they both wind up in the psych ward and then you do another movie later. I almost would have preferred it if it was that because the beginning of the film was it was it was nicely paced it was action packed there was you were anticipating what would happen when Bruce Willis and James McAvoy had that first fight, you know, you were just thinking about it, man. You got the beast and you got the unbreakable, the unstoppable force versus the immovable object. So I thought all of that was great. But then this film gets to the middle. And my God, did this film drag in the middle. <laughs> I just felt like I was trapped in the psychiatric ward, and we just stayed there, and we stayed there, and we stayed there. And there was session after session after session after session, scenes in a room after scenes in a room after scenes in a room. And yes, there were things happening to progress the story, but the pacing was so slow and just almost... I mean, just immobile that honestly, I started to get bored. I don't know about anybody else, but after I had seen a few sessions, I got the idea of what they were going for. I got the idea of what Sarah Paulson's character was trying to do. But then we just kept going and kept going. And it just felt like to me that M. Night Shyamalan put all of his eggs 
in the proverbial basket of the plot twist that he was going to reveal at the end of this movie. It, it 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 was dragging and he wasn't giving you much because he wanted to just woo you and awe you at the end of the film. But the problem is, I think, is that the air is just sucked out of you at the in the middle of this film. So by the time we get to the plot twist, I just didn't have much energy to be happy about it. Like it, it just and then it was just such a downer, kind of like what Heather said. Our three main characters die, and then we're left with sort of this, with what is supposed to be an uplifting moment, because now the, because Mr. Glass had this plan, and now because of these videos that he had uploaded, and he had set us up to where a lot of the the interactions with the Beast and Bruce Willis's character, all of that stuff was videotaped, even though the Sarah Paulson Secret Society um, didn't know. And so... <laughs> Secret Society, I like that. You know, the Secret Society of <laughs> Superhero Nullifiers. Um, they didn't... <laughs> they didn't know. So... So we so now the word's going to be out and now everybody's going to know that these that these superpower beings actually exist. And and, and yes. And so in a way, he kind of does this thing where the end of the movie is actually an origin story of how the the news about and the legacy of superheroes gets out. So that was kind of his twist. He was taking something that seemed like the end, but actually saying, nope. This was actually the beginning. And that's a neat idea. That's a neat concept. I don't hate that concept, but I feel like this is a big example of execution just not being what it needed to be. Just like Heather alluded to, I didn't understand this society. Um, I didn't understand this secret group of people that are going out and nullifying powers because this was supposed to be a trilogy. It would have been so neat if there were clues given to this in the first Unbreakable. It would have been so awesome if there were clues given given to this in Split. Um, you know, and there were opportunities to do that. But because there was no hints, there was no clue, there was nothing ever pulled from those movies, this twist just feels kind of cheap. It just feels like one of those simple twists that they like to do in movies where they don't show you a character, they show you a character one time randomly in a film. And it just seems like it's just a side character or a run of the mill character. Then you get to the end of the movie and that character is the real villain or that character is the one that the protagonist should have been paying attention to. And this is the true antagonist of the film. But I hate movies like that because it's cheap. You didn't give me any clues. You didn't let me, you didn't put any pieces in there to where I can look back and go, oh man, this makes sense. I see why this person is the main, is actually the antagonist of this film. But we didn't get any of that here. He sort of just surprises us, but it just felt like a cheap surprise, man. If he, you gotta, if you're gonna do that, especially with 19 years and three movies, you got to set that precedent at the beginning. There should have been something in Unbreakable about that, that some clues to pick up on. And then it would have been awesome if at the end of this, 
he replays scenes from the first two films and we as an audience can put it all together and go, oh man, they were there, they were scouting, they were around Mm -hmm. the whole time, but we just never noticed them. But we don't get that here. And I feel like Shyamalan let us down, man. I feel like he should have had that. He could take a lesson from the Marvel movies. That's why the plot twist in Civil War works. We got scenes of Winter Soldier killing um, Tony Stark's parents. We saw that, but we didn't know they were Tony's parents. That was kept from us. We saw Zemo interrogating Winter Soldier, and he kept asking him about this date. I want you to mission report on this date at this time. And we didn't know what that was about, but we knew he kept asking the Winter Soldier about it. So when we get to the end of the film and Tony is realizing that Winter Soldier killed my parents, we as an audience can be surprised with him because all of those scenes that we got earlier culminate to that scene. And now we are in the same place as some of the characters. But Shyamalan doesn't do that, man. So this just felt like a missed opportunity. And that's really probably the biggest thing I can say about it is that it was so disappointing at the end, man. I didn't feel that that twist landed. It wasn't a feel-good moment for me because my superpower people died. So even (laughs) though he said it was an origin story, it didn't feel like that because you killed everybody. So yeah. what are we beginning with? We didn't even get a glimpse of any of the new superheroes or anything. We just or we didn't get to see Sarah Paulson and the and the superhero killers. We didn't get to see them on a new mission and they're going after somebody or something. We got nothing. So even though he's telling me all these things, nothing felt like what he presented to me. So that would be my biggest dislikes of the film. Devin, your turn. Oh, Glass, how you disappoint me. I wanted to like this film. I was genuinely excited for it. And a January release is pretty, pretty hard to get excited for. I mean, just typically January releases, they disappoint. But I was like, you know what? This is going to be fucking different. After watching Split, I was like, you know what? Shyamalan has learned some lessons about the way he makes a film. He's learned to restrain himself, to keep his ego in check, to tell a succinct, self-contained story, and then use a plot twist which would make sense to relate to something that we've previously seen. What a great way to do it. He's learned so much. Can't wait to see what he has to offer. When I went to that theater, you know what I fucking saw? The same bullshit I've been seeing from this bastard since a lady in the fucking water. So... Hold on to your pants, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm not going to be nice like Heather. I don't give a fuck about being eloquent like Jastin. I am going to rip this movie's asshole right open, and I don't care if it makes anyone angry. If you like this film, please go watch some better movies in your life. Please do that. I can give you a list. Hit me up on Facebook. I'll give you movies that are superhero related, that are meta, that are... Um, that have great plot twists that actually make fucking sense, that have character motivations that make sense and whose entire plot is not completely dependent on deus ex machina because the, the sham Illuminati, that is deus ex machina, the entire thing. But let's start at the beginning. 
I liked the first, I'd say half of the movie. First half of the movie, I was like, all right, we'll see where this is going. There's some good stuff happening. You know, I, there were some things you could, there's some plot holes you could drive um, a truck through, like how they actually found David and Kevin when they were fighting. How they all just showed up in a well-coordinated, well-oiled machine. How were they tracking them? How did they know where they were? And if they knew where they were, why would they let them get together? Now, I know some people will say, because she's a psychiatrist and she's trying to rehabilitate them. But guess what, bitch? No, she's not. She's a part of a secret society that's supposed to suppress superheroes. So they know that these motherfuckers are dangerous. They know not only is David Dunn a vigilante, but he's a superpowered vigilante and, and he's capable of incredible feats of strength. They know not only is Kevin um, somebody who suffers from DID, but he's a serial killer. And they also know that he has superpowers, that he can climb on walls, that he can eat people. He can eat people. He eats people. That's what he does. He eats people. He's capable of getting shot with shotguns. He's capable of bending steel. They know this. They're trying to convince these superpowered individuals that they don't have superpowers, but they know for a fact that they do. And guess what? Uh, Sterling, Heather, um, how you were saying that somehow they convinced you that maybe they didn't have these superpowers. Uh, did you not see the other two fucking movies? Of course they have fucking superpowers. Are you kidding me? You already saw it. It's so fucking stupid. That entire arc where he's like, well, could it be possible that um, you saw a video of people who can climb walls really well? And so you just imagine yourself as a wall climber and you just were able to do it? Come on. Give, ooh, give me a break. That reminded me of that bullshit and exorcism of Emily Rose when they were like trying to tell why she could speak with two different voices and speak languages spontaneously and stuff like that. It's just so contrived. But going on a tangent, I want to bring it back in. So beginning movie, biggest plot hole, how do they find David? Okay, so we finally get back. Uh, we finally go to the the uh, psychiatric war where they're trying to rehabilitate them. And they're having all these sessions. And she's trying to convince them that they're not superheroes. But you want to know something? Once again, her and the Sham Illuminati already know that they're superheroes. They already know they're dangerous. David Dunn is a vigilante who goes around Daredevil and Moon Knight motherfuckers. Samuel Jackson's character lied hey. to. Hmm? Hey, don't you dare take Moon Knight's name in vain. I'm not taking don't it. Don't you dare. I'm not taking his <laughs> name in vain. That's what he does. He beats the shit out of people. That's what he does. With brass knuckles with spikes, technically called Kaiser Knuckles. He doesn't need that because he has superpowers. Anyway, anyway. Not the same. Anyway, but anyway, as I was saying, back to my original, Sam Jackson is a terrorist who blew up a train and has done other acts of terror. And he's a super genius. And I don't mean super genius like Elon Musk. I mean super genius like Dr. Doom or somebody like that. We're talking about that type of genius. Once again, she knows that he has superhuman intelligence. And then we get to Kevin, who she knows is the beast and knows that he has the capacity to kill and eat people and crawl on walls and not be shot. And you know what they do? They put them under the supervision of some regular ass nurses. 
Just some regular <laughs> ass people. Just some regular motherfuckers. Not people who appear to be regular people. Not people who appear to be who are part of the Shamaluminati. But they also know that if I was no, just regular Tom Dick and Gans, you know what happens? They end up dead. They end up dead. They're just trying to do their jobs. I know that other one was a dick and he abused Sam Jackson, stuff like that. And that sucks. But guess what? Maybe he shouldn't have been in there in the first place. With all of this research you were doing on the superheroes, you didn't think that maybe you should, you know, get rid of that guy who abuses the mental patients? Do you think that abuse might hinder your plan to make superheroes think that they're not superheroes because maybe in defense of themselves, they use their powers? Uh Uh-huh. Did you think about that? No, you fucking didn't. Shyamalan, you know why you didn't? Because your ego is out of control because you think you're the shit and you're not the shit. You're not as clever as you think you are. I could literally almost hear him writing the script to this movie and thinking of how clever he is when he brings in this secret society out of fucking nowhere. Thin air pulls it right over his ass with a clover, a four leaf clover as their symbol of all things. Are you kidding me? That is as elaborate as you could get. I've and, and and these motherfuckers sit around in a cafe in broad daylight and discuss the nefarious hero neutralizing plots. And they wait until people who are not a part of the Sham Illuminati um, to walk out of it so they can ta- start talking about it again. If you're so fucking powerful, how come you just don't have a base of fucking operations? It's stupid. Why? If why are you trying to suppress superheroes in a place that gets fucking Yelp reviews? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. None of this fucking movie makes any fucking sense. It's stupid as shit. <laughs> and just to add to your rant. What was the point? Why why didn't they just kill them when they had them? What was the point of trying to convince them? Were they trying to control them? Like, you was know, that ever explained? This no, is a real question. No, no. Like, was that ever explained? Were no. they trying to control them? What What was the point no. of trying to convince them that they didn't have powers if you already knew they had powers? Why didn't you just kill them when you had them? But, but that's what Stephen she was like. I want to preserve human beings. I want to preserve human beings. So you would think, all right, just kill these superpower people when you get a chance to. What good is it to really when when Bruce Willis touched her hand, he shouldn't have seen shit because apparently they don't fucking kill anybody. They just talk about how they're afraid of superpower individuals, which I'm just going to say ain't really doesn't make you a bad person. You mean to tell me that if half Thor Bjornsson comes in and I get afraid or intimidated by him and I'm like, hey, we probably don't want to make half Thor mad because he could kill everybody. Then I have just I am a villain (laughs) because of that. That's fucking stupid. It's oh, my God. It's so stupid. And then the the unnecessary plot twist. Here's a plot twist. Here's a they're not going to fight in front of uh, the Tokyo Towers or whatever. They're going to fight here. Here's another plot twist. Guess what? No, your dad, when he got on the train, he didn't abandon you and go with some hot chick. No, what he really did is he died. And the reason he died is because that was the same train that Bruce Willis was on. That's the train that Elijah blew up, which makes you you. And then guess what? Here's another plot twist. Sarah Paulson's a part of an Illuminati-esque um, faction of human beings who meet at coffee shop- shops and wait till people walk out to make their insidious plots to 
I guess, talk people into believing they don't have superpowers? <laughs> what the fuck Although is that? I do, I do wonder if, like, that? the whole point of it was supposed to be, if we convince them they don't have them, they're not a threat to us because they won't try to use them. I don't know if that's what it was, but I'm wondering if maybe that was part of it. Heather, do you remember in Unbreakable when uh, he was just experimenting and he found out he had superpowers? Yeah. Do you remember that? So, it was an accident. <laughs> um, what about James McAvoy's character? Um, he um, he has all those personalities inside of him. Was there ever a scene where the beast went, I am not powerful. <laughs> I am nothing. I will never come to the light. No, the beast would always come out in protection of Kevin because that's what he fucking does. He would come out of protection of to, to protect him. Elijah would always do crazy supervillain shit because that's what he does. That's a momentary fix. The real fix is to kill them all. And that is one of the biggest flaws. And let me get back to M.I. Shyamalan and his fucking ego. <laughs> when he had that long ass cameo in the uh, security store, I knew it was going to crumble. And this movie literally crumbles under its own weight. Because it is so unnecessarily ambitious, it can't execute all of its ideas because there's just too much going on. To this day, M. Night Shyamalan's best work has been The Sixth Sense. And you want to know why? Because it was a self-contained narrative. M. Night Shyamalan, you are not the fucking Russo, bro. I mean, Russo brothers. You are not Disney. You can't just make a cinematic universe. The end of that movie with the audacity. Oh, I know what this is. This is the start of a universe with fucking who? Glass, dead. The Horde, dead. The Overseer, dead. Who, who is there left to give a fuck about? Um, Small, baby-faced man, really bad prosthetic woman, and, 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 and the mayonnaise girl? Do you think people are going to come and watch that movie for those three motherfuckers? Mayonnaise girl? What? Because she's bland Because she's bland as fuck. That's why she's mayonnaise girl. Because she's bland and you can put her on anything. She doesn't really make much of a fucking difference. I would call her, I would call her Miracle Whip then. Because I... I like mayonnaise. Mayonnaise has got flavor. Miracle Whip is what's bland. But see, I hate mayonnaise. This is my this is my rant, motherfucker. This is my venom moment, and I'm gonna have it. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, anyway. So for all our listeners out there, just know when he says mayonnaise, it means Miracle Whip. <laughs> Whatever. Um. Um. And then just some of the ways he spoke so condescendingly about comic book films, like when they're in that session and she's like, have you ever been to a comic book convention? They're full of desperate people who are detached from reality. And I was like, bitch, it's 2018. (laughs) There's all kinds of people. Motherfucker. Chris Hemsworth is Thor. Jason Momoa is Aquaman. Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. Scarlett Johansson is Black Widow. Um, Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman. Video games is the leading media source of entertainment on the planet. Comic book movies make more move money than anything. Black fucking Panther, and this is post, I know it, they, it wasn't nominated, but there was a lot of buzz beforehand, is nominated for best picture. Comic book geeks aren't overweight, acne-written, social outcasts 
who are delusional and disconnected. Comic books tell the stories of humankind. There are Greek mythology. You don't even know the audience you are trying to cater to. You belittle them and then want them to follow you through an entire universe. Man, fuck you, M. Night Shyamalan. You know what? Write short stories. Right, go back to making short films because you ain't ready for the big leagues. Fuck you. Fuck this movie. And and uh, yeah, uh, you may think that the plot was unbreakable, but I'll tell you one thing. It's going to split audiences right down the middle. When it comes right down to it, it's about as strong as a rock going through glass. Nice. <laughs> Although I do want to tag off of it a little bit, though, with like, I think it's interesting that they had the part at the end before they revealed that Mr. Glass kind of knew about this secret Sarah Paulson society <laughs> that, um, you know, she's in the comic book store. Right. And then those two guys talking about like, you know, he's the mastermind. He's never going to tell you his real plan. I think it's just an interesting and I don't know if it was on purpose or if it just kind of worked for what it was. But um, just it, it kind of just showed that like all this research that she does and all of the everything that she did to learn about these people, it didn't actually really help her with the actual concept of comic book world because these just two kids in a store gave her that revelation. Nothing in her studies did. So I actually think it was kind of interesting. And maybe part of the issue was that like, oh, like I'm spending all this time with the, the studying of these people and their dynamics and I'm not understanding the world that I am in. Maybe that was part of the point of why her plan failed more so because she wasn't understanding these people as much as she thought she was, you know, but just a thought. I don't know. I thought it was really interesting how that was the fourth fucking plot twist in the movie. <laughs> and that all came within about 15 minutes of each other. Yeah, it was really rushed for sure. And, and let me get and that's just exposition. Everybody knew when when Mr. Glass had another plan. Did you gasp? Did you fucking gasp? Heather? No, you were never taken Four plot twists Four plot twists, dog. That is a that is more plot twist than those fucking cinnamon things from Taco Bell's. That's more twists than a goddamn Twizzlers factory. That's more twists than 50s purgatory. When all you hear is, come on, baby, let's do the twist. And guess what? It wasn't effective. It's not effective. Yeah, I I totally get what you're saying there. Rather than just having one of those or two, one or two of them and really developing those and making sure that those land. When you just have one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of killing all of your characters, it's just. I mean, it was just, I just don't know how you walk out of there pleased with anything that happened. Like, our hero died. Our villain was sort of made to look like a hero, though he had been a villain in the other two movies. And then the actual villain is revealed as somebody else who we only got in this movie. So... I mean, it, it was just like, I mean, my brain just melted. And then I was just so uninterested by that part because the middle was just so emotionally draining that by the time you get to this, it just wasn't satisfying enough, you know? And, and the fight with um, with the Beast and and uh, Dunn at the, towards the end was just, it, all of it just was underwhelming. 
you know, and then the way that they died, it was just kind of, it was just real anticlimactic. So it just didn't work. And then on top of that, he threw this super sandwich of plot twist just all on you. And it was just like, he just beat you up with so much stuff. And he thought it, and, and he thought it was all good stuff. And maybe separately, if the ideas were worked or focused on, and you just focused on one of those ideas and really fleshed it out, you might have had something, man. But he just threw all that shit at you at one time. And I just don't know how that works. I don't know how anybody could find that effective. Oh, and one other thing, and I agree wholeheartedly with you, Justin. What was up with the spotty CGI in places? Like, why did they CGI those trees in front of the psychiatric ward? What the fuck were those supposed to represent? Like, there were so many shots of those trees, and I have no idea why the fuck they were in there so much. And then that water tank. They couldn't buy a fucking water tank? Why was that CGI? (laughs) You don't have a couple of Gs to get a fucking 15... 5,000 gallon water tank or however many was in there. Nobody would know. Just get a big ass water tank. What the fuck? Oh, oh my God. Fuck this movie. The more I think about it, the more I hate it. One thing that I'll say that just based on like what I've read and what you guys are saying and everything like that, I think one problem with this movie is the fact that when Unbreakable came out, a lot of people were saying that it was a better superhero and a better comic book movie than superhero and comic book movies that were coming out and had come out. And I really think that this movie, from what you guys have said, fed off that without also taking into account that comic book movies now are a different, for lack of a better word, beast than they used to be. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. 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 Yeah. Pun yeah. intended. Um, it's, you know, like, so he's like, yeah, I know how to do a superhero movie. Everybody said, well, mine was one of the best. Yeah, sure. Way back in the fucking day. But like the super, the superhero genre now is this whole other thing. Like it's, you know, like Devin was pointing out, like Disney and the Marvel movies, you know, they're just billion dollar movie after billion dollar movie after billion dollar movie. I mean, fuck Aquaman just went for a billion dollars passing any other of the DCEU movies. Uh, It's this whole weird, you know, thing that. You know, he's he's not separating like that whole stereotypical comic book culture from what it is now. You know, like one thing that that Devin uh, didn't mention, though, was also you have Academy Award winning Brie uh, Larson is going to be Captain Marvel Marvel. coming out, too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's these movies aren't something that, you know, you have to get no name people for or, you know, this or that. Like legitimate actors are now, you know, in the uh in comic book movies. Uh, and they want to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now some people have been made from it. Like Chris Hemsworth was not a name in American households. He was fairly big in Australia. You know, he'd been in a lot of things in Australia. We didn't know him here. Now he's a worldwide name. He's a draw, you know, and then you have people like Mark Ruffalo and Edward Norton who have been in, in comic book movies. Uh, you've got Don Cheadle, Robert Downey Jr. Um, and even Samuel Jackson, who's, you know, going back and forth between these two, uh, who are now, you know, in comic book movies. And it's one of those things that it's he's still trying to hold on to that old mold because that's kind of what he used to make Unbreakable, the the subversive superhero movie that it was. And he just he can't separate the two because 
one reason why I am boycotting this movie is because of M. Night Shyamalan. Because he can't he can't separate anything that's been good that's ever been said about him from anything else he does. You know, Sixth Sense with its plot twist and that whole movie is considered a must-see all-time classic with one of the best plot twists in movies. And since then, 95% of his movies have had to have plot twists because he doesn't like, you know, because he's the, you know, the genius mastermind of the plot twist. So now everything's got to have a plot twist, even when they're not needed. Even when the plot twist is the stupidest fucking thing you could ever think of in that scenario, he's still like, you know, just forces it the fuck in because he's the mastermind of the plot twist. You know, he was considered a genius after six cents. And then, like he still got a lot of uh, praise after uh, Unbreakable, and he still got a lot of praise for Signs, even though the ending is just utter garbage. But he still got a lot of praise for it. And ever since then, he's been on his own dick. Like he's just constantly, I'm a fucking genius. If you don't get what the fuck I'm doing, you're just too stupid. And so with this, he's trying to be subversive about comic book movies and comic book culture, you know, still trying to beat a dead horse like it was 1995 and comic books were the same then. Like, he can't get out of his own way to realize the culture's changed. He's the one that's fucking behind and needs to, like, catch the fuck up. Yeah, and you just feel that watching this. This whole construction just feels like he was looking at the cinematic landscape. And he sees all these Marvel movies just doing awesome and this universe that has been created. And he sees what Marvel Studios and Disney has done. And I just feel like in his arrogance, he was sitting there going, you know what? I had a superhero not too long ago. And like you said, it was good. It was critically acclaimed. People liked my Unbreakable movie. They liked the David Dunn character. So you know what? If they can do it, I can most certainly do it better. And it'll be more meaningful and it'll have um, and it'll be different from all of those movies. And I feel like he just looked at him and he was like, well, if they can do it, I'm M. Night Shyamalan. I can definitely do something better than that. I'll create a universe like them, but I'll do it in this awesome, imaginative, cool sort of surprise way. And yes, he just doesn't understand why those movies are successful. He just doesn't understand. Like, he, he, he just doesn't grasp it at all. And I think this is one of those cases of him just thinking, well, I've already got some pieces in play, so let me just go ahead and put these things together. But obviously, based on all the plot twists at the end, he didn't, it, it just is so obvious that this wasn't a 19-year plan coming to fruition. This isn't like anything that Marvel did, where they sat down years ago and said, okay, we've got all these movies, and we've got all these plans for these movies, we're going to divide it up into phases, and it's all going to culminate to this Infinity War, f- these Infinity War movies. That's a plan. They, were, they, they planned it, it was set up in phases, and they went systematically releasing these movies each year. This doesn't feel like that at all. This feels like someone who made something 19 years ago and is looking at the landscape now and thought, well, you know what? Let me just try to do this real quick, like what they're doing. And this is the end result. You get something that just isn't quite up to par 
with the kind of movies that we're used to getting in the superhero genre. You know, I, I actually disagree with you on that, Justin. I think this is a movie that was 19 years in planning. It's just the problem was, is he planned it 19 years ago and didn't think about it since and didn't, you know, adapt it or change it at all in 19 years and just released the same shit that he would have 19 years ago if he had made it. It doesn't feel like that, though. I see what you're saying. And I'm not saying it wasn't a plan. Like, I know he has said that this was a planned trilogy, but it just doesn't feel like it. Like, even at the end of Split, tacked on at the end of that movie is Bruce Willis. Like, it's at the end. Like, it's like Split has absolutely nothing to do with Bruce Bruce Willis. He's never mentioned or anything like that. And then tacked on right at the end, Bruce Willis is in there um, reading the paper and commenting on that Mr. Glass was the guy who got put away. So we don't even know that these movies are together until that moment. And then in this movie, you know, the society's revealed at the end. So if this was a 19-year plan, it it doesn't feel like it's all going together. It doesn't feel organic. And I guess that's my point. Honestly, to me, what what I'm saying with that is, I think whenever he came up with this plan, when he wrote Unbreakable, I legitimately thought or think he thought he was going to get a trilogy with that. And not necessarily the exact trilogy we got. I think this ended the way he originally thought his trilogy was going to end. You know, whenever he came up with the story of Unbreakable, I think he came up with the story that would, you know, would more or less be glass. And it just never came to fruition. And I think whenever he was creating Split and when he wrote Split, he figured out a way to shoehorn that in to then get to glass and then just added that in. Um, It's just it, it, it sounds like it was just it's an old plan. It's an old story arc that would have worked 19 years ago. If he had made this trilogy 19 years ago, it probably would have worked. And I don't think he's been planning it for 19 years. I just think he came up with the idea 19 years ago and then just went, hey, I'm going to do the same thing. I don't give a fuck that things have changed. (laughs) And my plan is completely irrelevant and it's useless now. And it's going to look, you know, terrible in comparison to everything else. I'm still going to do it because I'm M. Night fucking Shyamalan. Um, But... (laughs) I do want to bring up something, though, that is actually that contradicts something that you guys have said about fans and their reactions to this movie. We kind of have a Venom situation going on with this movie, um, with the whole fact that while critics more or less have universally disliked this movie, it's currently rotten on Rotten Tomatoes at a 36 percent. The audience score for this movie is a 79 percent. So you do have once again. You oh, have, I know that you have once again a big discrepancy between the audiences and critics. I mean, and the reason why I bring it up is like, I mean, you did mention audiences, Devin, and so did Heather and everything like that. But it's one of those things where audiences are actually responding fairly well to this. Uh, and it's the number one movie right now, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. I know what the fuck else is well. out right now that's true. That's going to true. Compete. But it is doing, but from what I understand, it is doing well at the box office. So it's making well, money. Ret- like, kind of. It's kind of doing well at the box office. I mean, it's doing better than anything else, but nothing new that's supposed to do well is out right now. Everything else is just old shit from Christmas. I mean, that's what we're. It, it's beating right now. It's beating leftover Christmas films. Um, I mean, honestly, I think uh, within a couple of weeks when you have something like the Lego Movie 2 or 
How to Train Your Dragon 3 or even Captain Marvel in, in early March, this movie is going to be just a non-factor that nobody remembers uh, at that point, um, at least box office wise. I don't think it's going to break any records. I don't think this is going to matter. Uh, I think I guess the one good thing about this is, is apparently they made it for 20 million and M. Night Shyamalan financed it all himself because apparently the fucker still got a ton of money. And I mean, he's he's rolling in bank right now since he self-financed it. You know, he's he's making a ton of money off this because, I mean, other than, you know, the distribution, you know, whoever his distributor is, he's making a, you know, pretty much all the rest of the money on this, uh, you know, doing it that way. Um, but, yeah, it is it is one once again, kind of one of those venom situations where, you know, critics and for the most part, us don't like this movie. But in general, audiences do. Um, I mean, I guess it would be the reverse of The Last Jedi where critics loved it and fans hated it. Um, it's it's just one of those weird situations that, you know, you kind of just never know what you're going to get with something like that that ends up causing these weird uh, divides between what you would, you know, traditionally your film critics and your audience members. And that we do have uh, to a degree here, you know, like, you know, you have Devin that absolutely hated it. Justin, who sounds like mostly hated it or is just very much directly in the middle, you know, and Heather who liked it, you know, it's, we've, you know, between you three alone, we've already got those extremes, uh, which we don't typically get on something like this. Um, Mm -hmm. Not to say we haven't all disagreed, but it's not typically that uh, varying between multiple people. You know, we've had some variances like uh, hereditary, which is another example of this. Critics loved it. People hated it. And we did, we all kind of did the same thing, but more of us like grouped together. Whereas this one, nobody's really grouping together between you guys. It's all kind of uh, varying between it. Um, just as a fun little game, though, I do want to ask you guys real quick, uh, and we'll go in the order that we, we started this with. What movie do you think started M. Night Shyamalan's fall into just complete garbage oblivion? We'll start with you, Devin. Signs. Signs started it all. Mm. He is he's pseudo semi religious, um, dogmatic, really vague, faux wokeness, full faux. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a faux. Um, faux. It's not illumination. What is it? Um, it's. Um, I don't know. Enlightenment. 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 Yeah, and faux enlightenment. Just got it all. If you if you look at his work before signs, he really did try to keep it within smaller bites, not these big overarching narratives. And once that hit and made some dollars, then he just he just went off the rails. He just wanted to make these big, outstanding, epic stories and tell these things that he cannot tell. He cannot tell these stories. So that's where he went off to meet with signs. That's where it started. Justin, what about you? Okay. Well, just going by my experience with his films, I'm trying to, when you propose that question, I was starting to think, okay, what was the first film that I just really did not like? So for me, of course, you know, The Sixth Sense, I I loved that. And then when Science came out at the time, I really enjoyed that movie. It had a lot of intense moments. It had... um. Everybody that acted in it had a good presence. There were a lot of great um, jump scares in that movie. There were there's a lot of great imagery and shots in that film. I really enjoyed that film. And yeah, at the end, 
it's a little lame that the aliens' weaknesses were water, but overall, that film got a good reception. It, it was, you know, it was generally liked. It made a ton of money. And I thought that that definitely is not the strongest of his films, but it is certainly not the weakest of his films. For me, the first film where I really was just like, this was no good, was The Village. That was the first movie that I can remember where when it got to the plot twist at the end and we find out that really we were just in the woods somewhere and there's a road and a street and these people are living like this, but really we are in modern times and you and then she wads up at a gas station or something talking to a person and they're like, uh, where the hell have you been? Like, that was a head scratcher. That was the first time I was like, that was dumb. Like, that was just such a stupid ending when we had had all that development, all that he made us think we were in this certain time period. And then all of a sudden, you got helicopters flying overhead. And it just completely took you out of the moment. It was just so nonsensical. I, I mean, that that was the first time I really walked out of one of his films disappointed. Like, what the hell is he doing? And I feel like ever since that film, if I've got the order correct, that trend continued. Because uh, I want to say after The Village, you got Lady in the Water and you got stuff like The Happening and then later on uh, Airbender. I want to say it was that was the first time that the that I can remember walking out of his movie and being like that made absolutely no sense and that ending just <laughs> totally took me out of the movie. So in so just one other thing I wanted to say I don't want to just in retort to you I never said I thought signs was bad I thought that's the one that started down the path of I can pretty much do whatever I want to do in films. This happens with directors they get a big movie. And then all of a sudden studios are like, ooh, this director, how could he go wrong? And I'm, I'm telling you, Signs was that was like that that first shot of heroin for him where he was just like, oh, you know what? I'll do whatever I want. Fucking M. Night. That's that's what made his ego go, go out of control. I, that's what I really believe. And right before Heather answers this, I will just quickly list off, though, his movies in order, uh, directorial wise, at least it was. I mean, we'll start with Six Sense because nobody cares about the other two movies he made before that. So you have Six Sense, Unbreakable, Signs, The Village, Lady in the Water, The Happening, The Last Airbender, After Earth, The Visit, Split, then Glass. Just, you know, so we're all on the same page uh, with what Justin was saying earlier. So, he Heather, what was his downfall for you? If you think he has one. I mean, I, that is unfair of me to actually assume that everybody has one. You know, because I'm sure somebody thinks he's the best thing ever. But if you have one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just really odd. Like, I've never really known a director who's either really super hit or super miss <laughs> than with him. Um, I'm probably going to have to agree with Jason. I think it was The Village is, uh, I mean, it was okay. Um, but that's kind of where it was like the magic of what he had done with, you know, the first three, you know, bigger films he did 
he lost that magic at that point because, you know, like we're saying, Sixth Sense is incredible. That's probably by far his best movie he ever did. I'm a huge fan of Signs. That's probably my favorite movie he did. Um, Unbreakable was great, you know, but then, yeah, like you said, The Village. And then after that, it slowly just got worse. And I even forgot about After Earth. I totally forgot about that movie. (laughs) So it's just like, yeah, it just was a strand of really trying to like recreate what he had done in his early career. And then it just kept getting worse. I will say probably around when he did the visit, I think that's when he started getting back up to where he, you know, making better movies. And like, I would say the visit was probably the twist that they did in that one was a little bit more like, Oh, okay. More so than the ones, you know, prior to that up, you know, after um, the village anyway. So yeah, I would say probably the village is the one where that's when he started to have his, a little bit of his downfall going on. So I guess his fourth movie in. And I, I, I feel like I can't answer this question too, even though I haven't, you know, doing much, but I'm actually going to disagree with you guys a little bit, go a little later. I'm going to say lady in the water was his big turning point. Not to say the village was good in any way, shape or form. I think it's just one of those things I can give him a pass on the village because while I was not a big fan of unbreakable, I understand why people liked it. And So to me, Village was kind of just his first miss. It felt like a misstep. It didn't feel like a downward trend for me. It just felt like a misstep. Like, you know, anybody was bound to do if you were having as much success as he was having. You're bound to falter at some point. So that one was the one where he's like walking down the road and just stumbles a little bit. I didn't realize that the next movie was literally him then like stumbling into the concrete and just like burrowing into the ground all the way to the center of the earth. Because Lady in the Water is probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen, ever. And that movie, more so than even what I said earlier about this, is the movie where he is the most on his dick that he's ever been in his entire life. And it's surrounded by just the worst garbage in the world. Like when he sits there and he has that scene where, you know, he's essentially told that he's a prophet and that, you know, people nowadays might not understand him because he got a lot of flack for the village. He was he was coming off the village. A lot of people didn't like it and a lot of people started to turn on him. And so, you know, he had that whole little plot line of where he was playing the character that was just misunderstood now. But generations in the future will come to, like, see his his words as gospel, like referring to everything. I was like, really, you're that much on your dick that you don't realize that everything around you is on fire right now and you just assume that you're fucking okay. Like he was beyond delusional with that shit. And I don't think he ever really recovered from that. Um, (laughs) I will say this about the visit. Uh, I do slightly disagree with you, Heather. Uh, I don't think that that ending or that twist was like, an, oh, that's surprising. It was like, a, oh, that made no fucking sense. And where the fuck did that come from? Which is where I feel like most of his twists were coming from at this point that you guys also alluded to with Glass that I can't speak at firsthand with that is that starting with the village, his twist just kind of became out of fucking left field. No narrative clues to really uh to tell you where they got, like how they got there, you know, to him, yeah, there might be clues left and right. But as you're like, as somebody who's just watching the movie, he's not putting narrative clues to truly show where these twists are coming from, which makes me think that while he was considered a twist mastermind for so long, I don't think he actually knows what makes twists effective. You know, like I think he, 
it's it's really like the culmination of everything I've seen of his at this point, which is pretty much everything but Split and uh, in Glass at this point. I've seen all the rest of his movies that he just assumes that if he just throws something at your face towards the end, that's a twist. And that's not. That's just somebody that can't fucking write a movie is what ultimately it boils down to to me. Because when you look at the happening and the twist is that it's fucking plants killing everybody. Like, what fucking sense does that make? I mean, I know they kind of hinted at that during the movie. Whenever, you know, the wind would blow the, I guess, the plant death pheromone at people. You know, I guess that was his way of saying, look, it's the plants because they're moving. But it didn't actually feel like it was plants. Because how the fuck would anybody survive that? Like, when they're out in the country, like, how could you ever not run into those pheromones or whatever? Because, I mean, plants are fucking everywhere. Like, blades of grass are fucking everywhere. It's not like it's, you know, the fucking Sahara, where you've got miles between shrubberies. Like, they're in a fucking field in, like, Connecticut or some shit. Like, there's literally just millions upon billions of fucking blades of grass around them. And somehow they're still able to come through because, you know, he has to have it. And so, like, the twist was just out of left field. It doesn't really make sense with the movie that was surrounding it. Same with Lady in the Water. You know, because that was just a dumb one where he's like, oh, you know, all these people you thought were supposed to be these characters that the little kid made up off a cereal box. No, it's not them. It's actually these people that you consider outcasts, which, like, once again, is him on his own dick. I guess he got bullied a lot as a child and he wanted to be like, yeah, the people that matter are the ones that just come out of left field. And I guess that was supposed to be some heartwarming message that just came across as just smug pompous i don't i don't even know how to fucking finish that statement because it's just so fucking garbage um so other than that if m night shaman's got at least one more movie project coming up i can't tell you what it's about because i don't actually know but based on what you've seen in glass and his movies that have come before that like recently because you know everybody here sounds like they like split are you more or less willing after glass to want to see this movie or not heather um that's hard to say. I mean, he's one of those directors where I, I genuinely just I want to know what the plot is and I, I want to see like the trailer for it before I decide just because there have been some that just completely didn't catch my attention at all. Like Lady in the Water and Last Airbender. I was like, no, I'm good. I'm going to pass on those. So it honestly with him, it's case by case for me. I would say at this point, I, like I said, I enjoyed Glass for what it was. Um, so it's not going to make me say, oh, because of Glass, I'm not going to want to see it. But again, he's so hit or miss that it really is case by case for me. Justin, what about you? Yeah, I think I'm along the lines of that. Like I said, um, with Glass for me, it was not a movie that I would like, that, that I would say I liked. But with M. Night Shyamalan, uh, I mean, if it looks, if I look at the previews and it looks like maybe there's an interesting idea and it looks like maybe something that I might be interested in seeing, and this will probably be one of those check the reviews before you go to the theater type of things. And if I'm looking at the reviews and if it's looking like the typical Shyamalan kind of thing where everybody is saying you get to the end of it and it doesn't make any sense if it's if it's following that same pattern then yes i'll definitely be less inclined to see it um but if it's something kind of like what glass was 
where you really have this overwhelming number of fans saying, nope, this is actually good. There is This is worth seeing. There, there is something to this movie. And it seems like maybe there's a mixed reception. If it seems like super, super mixed, like 50-50, it could go either way. Well, I'm one of those people. I'm going to want to go see it so that I can figure out what side do I lie on. So it might even become a, you know, I have different reasons for watching movies. But for him, I, I don't think that this would deter me from watching a Shyamalan film. I mean, he's one of the directors that I typically do try to watch his films, even if it's just to derive an opinion of my own. I'll go watch his movies. So, yeah. Uh, so just to kind of answer the question in a nutshell, yeah, I would still go see his movie but not without first doing some uh research beforehand Devin, what about you what i'll do is watch films if you're asking if i will be ever be excited again to watch another m night Shyamalan movie no and it's not because of glass it's because of his history of history people keep saying hit and miss hit and miss hit and miss my ass dude he has literally a decade of fucking bomb after bomb after bomb and he makes one movie that's good and two movies that are debatably good and all of a sudden he's hit and miss oh fuck that no will i go see more Shyamalan movies yes because i'm a masochist deep down inside i just like to hurt deep down inside i just like to bleed i like to go watch m night Shyamalan movies because I know he's going to give me ammunition for something, whether it be to defend him or to uh, demolish him. So, yeah, I'll go see more M. Night Shyamalan movies. Will I be excited to see them? Hell no, because I've learned my lesson. I will never have an expectation for M. Night Shyamalan. I will view every M. Night Shyamalan movie the same way I went in the split. People are saying it's good. Let's see what it is. And hopefully I'm pleasantly surprised. But statistically speaking, it ain't going to happen. I feel like I should watch the next one, but I have this distinct feeling like Split and like Glass. I'm probably going to end up being insanely apathetic towards it and not watch it and just call it a boycott like I've been doing. And we'll see how that goes. Real quick, guys, we'll end this like we do every movie review. What's your score? Would you recommend it? Devin, you're starting it off. Well, the things that I liked about this movie, I really liked them. But the things that I did not like, I did not like them. Now, excuse my impassioned rant about this movie because I didn't hate this movie at all. I hate the disappointment that it gave me because I do believe it could have been better. So I'm going to just have to be honest. This movie split me right down the middle. So I'm going to give it 50 out of 100 broken pieces of glass. And would you recommend it? If you have seen these other two films, go ahead and finish the trilogy. However, if you're just trying to jump in to see something new and exciting, don't really waste your time. There's other new exciting movies to watch coming out pretty soon. And you probably missed a couple of them last year. I mean, Roma's on Netflix. So, you know, watch Roma. See, I'll just take that personally. And you just recommended that I don't watch it. So I feel like I'm in the right now. Justin, score and recommendation. Okay. And actually, I was going to um, probably mimic a little bit of what Devin said. Like, I was also split down the middle with this film. Uh, 
like I said, it, there, there's some great, there's some, well I, well, I don't know about great, but there's definitely some good acting in this film. And then maybe a great performance by McAvoy, an ongoing performance, like from his uh, performance in Split. He continues with that momentum in this film. So there, this has some good acting performances. It does introduce some good ideas. And the first part of the movie is actually very good. So on that much alone, I can recommend it so that you could draw your own opinions. And I encourage everybody to do that. You know, sometimes it's always best just to watch it yourself and derive your own opinion. So I'm always going to recommend that you watch the film and see it. But on the flip side of that, um, if you're somebody who who really just, if you're a certain kind of, let me put it this way. If you're a certain kind of person who likes um, movies with plot twists and you like the development of those and you're kind of like a movie detective and you like to put the pieces together and formulate what you think the answer is and then you get to the end of the movie and it answers some questions for you. If you enjoy movies like that, then I don't know if you're going to enjoy this the way that it gives you the surprises at the end without any clues, without any context, without any development of certain things. So I don't know how much you're going to enjoy something like this. So, but I will recommend it for those, like Devin said, if you're trying to finish the trilogy, if you, if you were a fan of Unbreakable, but maybe you missed Split, go ahead and watch Split. And then watch this one. If you're somebody, like he said, who's just looking for something, or maybe you just want to watch it to see what the fuss is about. Why are critics and audiences so split on this movie? Then maybe that's a good reason to see it. So I'm just going to kind of mimic what Devin said. I was also going to give this movie 50 (laughs) drownings of David Dunn in a a puddle of water out of 100. (laughs) So that's another recommendation for me not to see it. Heather, you go. So it's interesting because I'm thinking about if thinking about it in the context of the, you know, unbreakable trilogy of movies, my score is going to be, you know, like a probably like a 68, 69. But thinking about um, Bird Box, which we reviewed not that long ago, I gave that movie a 70. And I will say I like this movie better than Bird Box. So I feel like I need to at least give it a 70 for that reason. So we'll go with like a 70 personalities out of 100 on this one. And I, like, you know, the other two said, definitely recommend it if you watch the first two, because it's going to be a way for you to see how it all ties in and how it all ends. So I would recommend it for that. Um, I appreciate how they... Um, how they go about discussing um, the psychological aspects of things, like I said. So um, I think that Split does it better in how they um, communicate with people that have DID. I think they do it a little bit better in how they explain the transformation of people who have it. But this one doesn't do a bad job of it either. And just kind of the, um, I guess you would say more sensitivity of how they approach dealing with people that have disorders like that. And maybe that's why I like this movie a little bit more than the others do, just because I'm I'm focusing a lot on that aspect of it because that's an important thing for me. So 
for that reason, if you're interested in that kind of thing, like the psychological aspect of things, I would recommend it more than if you're more into the superhero aspect of it. But um, mostly just only if you're interested in seeing how this trilogy wraps up, that's the people I would recommend it to. And since I feel a little bit left out, I'm going to do one. I give this zero not applicables out of 100 because I haven't seen it. There you go. uh, See it or don't see it. That's my recommendation. Do, Do what you feel. That's deep. I like it. Right? That's what I thought. And on that note, we'd like to thank you guys for listening. Check us out on the internet, www.cinemaslayers.com. Facebook, we're Cinema Slayers. Instagram, we're Cinema Slayers. Twitter, we're Cinema underscore Slayers. Uh, we've also got the Threadless Store. We've got a link uh, on our website. Go there. Check us out on anywhere. Say you're listening to this on iTunes and you'd rather listen to it on Spotify. Well, guess what? We're on Spotify. So check us out there if you want. We've also got that survey up still, guys. Let us know what you think. It takes about two minutes to do. All it does is help us get better for you. Thank you for listening. Bye.